You know our slogan around here is better practice, better life. But we're taking this belief to the next level. And we've recently announced the creation of a new association. It's called the Best Practices Association. Our association celebrates the mindset that is better practice, better life. This mindset celebrates time, healthy living, personal growth, clinical excellence, and impacting the lives of your patients and your team through intentional leadership. In fact, we are the work-life balance experts in dentistry. The BPA will coach independent dental practices like yours to thrive by sharing best practices and operational habits, behaviors, systems, tools, and insight that lead to profitability and sustained growth, and you can still have a life. So if you're a dentist that wants to surround yourself with great thinkers, let us help you create your own version of Better Practice, Better Life. Go to actdental.com forward slash BPA or hit the link in the show notes. Yo, yo, yo. Hey, guys. Welcome back to another awesome edition of the Best Practice Show podcast. My name is Kirk Parent, And again, I only have one job to bring you great thinkers in dentistry with new ideas to help you create a better practice and a better life. And today is a great one. I have a new friend, an endodontist in the Chicago area. And his name is William Nudera. And he's written a great book. And he presents a whole new way to look at endodontics. And it's a systematic approach. I know you guys will enjoy this. So hope you enjoy the episode. We'll see you soon. Hey guys, welcome back to the Best Practice Show. My name is Kirk Barron. And my job here is to bring you brand new thinking from great influencers, great leaders in dentistry to help you create a better practice and a better life. And I have a new friend on today, uh, Bill Nudera, and we're going to be talking about a whole different way to think about specialty and endo specifically in this whole process. Bill, thanks for being on. Oh, thanks for having me. It's such a great pleasure to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Now, in full transparency, because that's how I roll, I'm getting older. You know, I uh, I trust my team. They're like, no, you're going to want to talk to him. And I'm like, okay, well, I didn't. And then, uh, and then it, it often works best when I don't know whole, the whole story. But I know part of the story now. And you gave me a little glimpse. And I'm like, I am totally picking up what you're putting down right now. And I want people to know a little. Tell them as much as you want about your story. And then we're going to get into it. And I have a million questions. So who's awesome. Bill Nudera? So Bill Nudera graduated from the University of Illinois Chicago Dental School in 1999, had aspirations to become a general dentist. I liked all aspects of general dentistry, but really didn't have enough skill or knowledge to, to go out and, uh, and give my skills to the general unsuspecting general public. So my path was a residency program and the residency program I chose was the United States Air Force. Uh, they gave me a year of training in the advanced uh, general dentistry residency, which allowed me exposure to every specialist at my fingertips in a local dental clinic. 
and I was exposed to endodontics for really the first time. I mean, in dental school, we learn basic concepts and, and, and core concepts and things like that, but you really know just enough not to be dangerous. So going into this program allowed me to get under the wing of some really seasoned specialists, and they saw that I had an interest in it. So it wasn't until my Air Force career that I really started you know, getting very much interested in endodontics. So I separated from the Air Force and went back to Chicago and was a general dentist again for another year before I end up getting into an endodontic residency program. Then at University of Illinois, Chicago, spent two years uh, getting a master's degree and earning my endodontic specialty certificate and then decided with a co-resident of mine to partner up and we opened up a private practice just right outside of Chicago. Now, if anybody knows anything about big cities, it's a pretty saturated area to practice. There's a, you know dentists on every corner and in the city of Chicago, there's like four or five dentists in every building. So it's, it's very saturated. So to get your name out there uh, when you're just opening a business can be challenging. So my partner and I decided, well, how can we get our name out there? Because nobody knew who we were. So we decided to go to the local dentists and offer some lunch and learn CE courses on how to do root canal treatment. We were always big advocates for general dentists doing root canals, as I did my own root canals when I was a general dentist. So we taught them how to do endodontics at a high standard. And an interesting thing happened is they really looked at this and said, well, you know, we can't do it like that. Uh, so our practice became began to grow based on some referrals from those dentists that we would try to teach them how to do endo. And we would still also encourage them to expand their scope and try to do endo. We also would let them know, hey, if you get into trouble, it's okay. We're here for you. We're here to help you. So one thing led to another and it just blossomed into this, this wonderful, busy practice and great relationships that we built because again, we have an, a, a, a mindset of abundance, right? There's plenty of teeth out there for everybody. We're here to help. We're not here to condemn. We're here to expand the general dentist scope of practice as well as provide good endodontic quality treatment to the community. Yeah, a big part of why I like this, and I, I can tell I'm already on like talking to you a lot. It's just the abundance theory, you know. Is the and now I, I want you to go a little bit further because that's crazy, Bill. You know, it's like you 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 you. Why would you teach everybody what you do? Why would you show them all your secrets? Like, because you know how this is. This the the super dentist term is not like a light term anymore. You know, now dentists go to courses and they're trained how to keep all these services in and you're just helping them do that. You bet. You bet. Because uh, again, they're, they can't, nobody can do everything. Even super dentists run into problems once in a while. And we, we work with several high quality super dentists and we still work with them. Uh, we know that when we get a referral from them, it's going to be a little more challenging to do, but that's okay. That's what we signed up for. Uh, so, and we're, we're happy to have a seat at the table. We're happy to be part of the treatment planning process because that's, that's the biggest thing too, is diagnosis, case selection. When should we treat? When should we extract? Those are the big questions that everybody asks. And having a seat at the table is important for me as the endodontist to guide people on realistic prognosis and expectations. Yeah, I love this. Now go back to this because talk about, you know, and I'll use another specialty that gets really frustrating. You could tell me how it relates to endo. Talking to any prosthodontist, they're like, okay, listen, I've tried this. You know, what happens is I get all the crazy, really messed up stuff. Like I don't get the good stuff. I get the stuff that the patient is crazy. This is extraordinarily difficult. And so um, does it lend itself to like 
you know, a good balance, a good mix when you think with the abundance mindset? So I'm going to go back a little bit to, to something that you said, you know, we get all these difficult, crazy people, crazy cases. Well, you know, it's, it comes down to communication. People, when they come in and they, they're, they're labeled as crazy, they're, they just haven't been communicated to as well enough as they need to be to understand expectations moving forward. So yes, we get more challenging people, people that need a little more TLC, challenging cases, but our treatment begins the moment I start talking about what we can do realistically. We lay it down for them in black and white, say, here are your possibilities. By the time somebody comes to my treatment room, they have three options. Either they do nothing, they make an attempt to save the tooth, or they don't, or they remove the tooth. And that's it. And when we lay it out like that, they have to choose which risks they want to take because everything comes with risks. And when we really communicate with them and get to the bottom of why they're frustrated, it's because no one's ever told them this before. So yes, we do get those outliers that some people just don't like to deal with, but when we can manage them, they become putty in our hands and expectations are all in line with what we can do. And you know, not everything we do works, but people really understand that we're trying and communicating really well with them. So that's what it comes down to, Kirk, is communication. Yeah, I love your mindset on this. Now, this has been an age-old conversation, and so I'll take you into it, and I'm, I'll just give it to you, and you tell us what you think. But think about this if you're a specialist, because this is what I've heard. I got this study club. I got all these GPs in it. And then I hear they're placing implants. They're doing their own endo, and it just, my blood boils. Now, that's one process. The other process is, hey, let me come help you. Now, let me be the GP. I'm going to be your GP for a second. Bill, why are you doing this? Like, um, at the end of the day, like I've just met you. I'm thinking, dude, you're a good guy. <laughs> like you're a good, I mean, I'm going to feel your sense of advocacy for me. I would imagine in this process, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, I'm part, I'm an extension of my referrals team. I'm not a separate and I'm in a separate entity from a business standpoint, but as part of the treatment protocol and treatment team, I'm an extension of the general dentist. And, uh, you know, I'm on the phone a lot. I'm on the phone understanding philosophies. I work with a bunch of different general dentists with a bunch of different philosophies. So not only am I managing different patients, I'm managing different expectations from a restorative philosophy. And I'll go along with any philosophy as long as it's reasonable. Um, so why am I doing this? Well, I'm doing it for the better good of the community. That's, I mean, it comes down to that. I mean, if, if, if people are doing endo for purely monetary reasons, well, we, we got to think about this. Well, I mean, what are we really doing here? We're doctors, right? We're here to help. So yes, you know, endo is lucrative. Implants are lucrative. That's why everybody likes to do them. However, you know, we have to have our mind in the right place in order to really render quality care, regardless of which modality we use. Yeah. And I, I love just being a board panel member here and just introducing this stuff because you'll enjoy this. I've been doing this for 25 years. So I work with mostly GPs and this is what the young, and I love them. I love them. They're great. And then, you know, a 25 or 26 year old PBO, you know, Kirk, I really like endo. I'm like, no, you don't. And they go, no, I do. I do. I go, no, you, no, 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 you don't. And they go, no, I do. I do. I took this court. And then three years later, they're like, dude, I hate it. And I'm like, you know, and you can't tell them anything. You got to let them. So like, I think the ultimate thing is any professional, I don't care if you're in dentistry or if you're a graphic designer, if you're, if you do anything, it's like you figure out what you're good at, what brings you joy and you surround yourself with other people that they also, it brings them joy being able to do. What was one of your biggest surprise moments? Because you've been doing this for how many years now? How many years? Uh, well, I've been a dentist for 22 years now. Okay. So when you embarked in this journey, what were some aha moments? You're like, whoa. Didn't expect that. That's pretty cool. 
So I actually have a, a very big aha moment for me, and it revolves around what we consider to be success. And I'm going to tell you a story. Uh, this was happened to me very early in my career, uh, right after I graduated residency program, probably sometime back in, in the late, uh, late, uh, late 2000, maybe 2009, 2010-ish. A uh, patient came into me, treatment of a maxillary first molar, uh, vital case, we pain, your typical uh, symptomatic uh, irreversible pulp case. I said, okay, uh, we can do the root canal success rate pretty high. Cause you know, we're taught in dental school that success rates of root canals, 95%. Yeah, I don't know about that. However, that's what we're taught because that's what some literature reports have. So either way we give this person a, a very high success rate. And it turns out that a year later, it it begins to break down. We start seeing a lesion at the recall. And so then we start talking about next steps. Well, we can continue moving forward and try to treat this case. We can remove this tooth or we can do apical surgery. Patients motivated. So, you know, we, we looked at, looked at all the anatomy. We found all of the existing anatomy. So going back in and redoing the root canal probably wasn't going to be the best option. So we chose apical surgery, did the apical surgery. Everything went as planned. So here we go with a treatment process over two years, everything's going as planned. You know, three years later, he comes back for another recall. The surgery is breaking down. Tooth had to be removed. He ended up getting an implant. I didn't place the implant. And then a few years later, he came back to me for treatment again on, on tooth number, the, the same side, the maxillary second molar, right next to that implant. And I look at him. I said, you know what? You've got the same thing going on in this tooth. And you have the same options. We can either try to save the tooth. You can remove it and go right to the implant. And I go, I can completely, and I framed it like this to him. I go, you can, I completely understand if you don't want to try to save this tooth because the last one didn't work. He looked at me, goes, Dr. Nadera, what do you mean it didn't work? You solved my problem twice. It worked just fine. I'm like, so our definition of, of success is much different yeah. than the patient's definition of success. So when we talk about endo, we, we want to think that the tooth's going to survive for a lifetime unlikely it's how long can we get this tooth to survive because some people are okay with just a few years apparently but we want our stuff to work a lifetime and sometimes that's just not reasonable so again it all goes back to those communication points right how long can we expect things to last you know how much can we control of the treatment because we're all at the mercy of biology and our patients yeah. So go back to that too. So we can, I, I, I can make this a two hour show easy communication and then the treatment and overall direction. Uh, one of the inherent challenges with any GP working with specialists is the communication with the patient, then over to the specialist. I tell me if you agree with this and you don't have to, I think one of the worst things you could ever do if you're a GP and you're listening is give patients a card and say, call my friend, Bill. Do you know, there's gotta be a tighter communication process. A lot of the specialists that I talk to estimate a third of all of those referrals are lost in space or wherever, where you have got to be able to communicate. I actually have a period on this that says, no, no, no. They, they, he puts a bat phone in their office and like it's seamless. And so it's bigger than just the referral process. It's bigger than just the system. It's about really tightening up the communication and calling in the specialist. What would you say to that as you've watched this evolve? So I, I look at it from, from two playing fields here, you know, cause I was a general dentist for a few years. So I had to learn as a young general dentist, how to develop those communication skills with the specialist. And then now as being a specialist, I have to then understand the other side of the game, how to communicate with my referring dentists. Uh, you know, being in practice now for at least a good couple of decades, I, the, the, the dentists that I work most frequently with, we, we always have those open lines of communication. There's never really any question about what we need to do. We're always on the same page. 
stage because of a cultivation of two decades of learning each other's philosophies. So that's one thing. But let's kind of rewind that a little bit. Let's take it back to the brand new practice when I was just starting. When I'd get those referrals, that says complete root canal treatment on tooth number three, it's been accessed and perked right through the vacation with no warning to me whatsoever. So how do you manage something like that? Well, very gently, you know, we're not, we, we, we communicate with the patient what's going on. We don't tell the patient, oh, your dentist put a big hole in your tooth because that's going to damage relationships. We say, hey, you know, there was some damage that was occurred during you know, some of the treatment. Don't worry. We repaired it for you. You know, and, and we, we frame it in a way to try to make everybody look good in the end. So I, I guess come, to come full circle to answer your question, certainly the more information I have going into a treatment, the better I have uh, to be able to communicate communicate patients' expectations. Uh, the fact that I'm using cone beam CT on everything helps me kind of mitigate some of those early warning signs if they're not written on the referral set. But either way, the more you tell your patient about what's going on, the easier it is going to be for somebody like me to help the patient through these particular situations. So, you know, I have, I'll have some dentists that, that turn my referral slip over to the back and keep writing notes. Some people send me emails. I get some calls, but then again, I just get a tooth circled. So we deal with all types. Uh, and frankly, it, it, it doesn't make too much of a difference for me because it, it, you know, once that patient comes to me and once I have a good understanding of their problem, we, we just have those three options to deal with. And we see, we, we then try to understand patient's risk level on how far they want to try to take it. Yeah, and Bill, I, I love this. Okay, so I'm going to play a 30-year-old 30, a 30 GP. I just moved to Atlanta. I'm going to pick a town. I'm listening to this podcast. Totally love what you're saying. But I can't get anybody to meet with me for lunch. I'm brand new here in town. You know, the old game of, you're, you hear this all the time. Nobody wants to get together. So can I ask you how? Like, give me, give me, get me started. Like, give me some advice. How do I get started? How do I get in to make an appointment? And when are, are you doing these continuously as a calibration? I would imagine you just don't do it once. You're doing, you're having these meetings or do you do them Zoom? I don't know. I'm just curious. Are you referring to the, the lunch and learn the, yeah. yeah, well, you know, first of all, if anybody calls me up there, we open our doors. We have people come in and observe our practice all the time. We always open up our doors to students, uh, endodontic residents, dental students. We have so many students coming through our practice all the time. We, we don't, we don't try to keep everything secret. Right. We have our referring doctors come to our practice. Now I don't go to the, the office anymore and, and do the lunch and learns. That was pretty much within the first inception of our practice, trying to grow things. People now actually will take time out of their schedule and come shadow us watching us how we work. Because again, it's not just about root canal treatment. There's no secret to doing great root canals, by the way, Kirk. It's this is practice, repetition, and volume. Just right. sit there and learn how to use the instruments. You can't play Beethoven on the piano by just reading a book. You've got to practice. So endo is a technical skill that needs to be learned. And in fact, you can separate endodontics into two categories, the science and the mechanics. So we, I've taught my 13-year-old daughter and my wife to do a root canal. They have no training in the science whatsoever. But then again, on the flip side, you can know the science backwards and forwards and just hate doing root canals. So we have to look at that dichotomy here with what we have. So if you want to get better at doing root canals, practice on extracted teeth. If you want to get better at understanding the science, read the literature. Right. I love this. I love this. Okay. I have a few endodontists I work with. They're on all ends of the spectrum. You've got an endodontist that does completely PPO catering to PPO. I also have an endodontist, doesn't do a dime of insurance. And so I would imagine, Bill, you're not trying to be everyone's endodontist or everyone's partner. You have the same process as 
A lot of people do. You're looking for somebody in which your value systems line up. Give us a sense of like, this is working and this isn't working just for you. Like just, you know, because I can tell you like my favorite people, our value systems just line up. It's just, it's not any harder than that, you know? Mm-hmm. My my top referrals, you're absolutely right. Those, those value systems line up. We see the same philosophy just about across the board, but we work with probably close to 200 referring dentists within our, wow. our local area. There's a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And within that, you've got some that are just great dentists and some, you know, they're a little bit more questionable here. So, you know, do I take PPOs? Do I take insurance? Well, we, there we're one, I'm one of three endodontists in my practice. I have a partner that I started the practice with and we have an associate. I'm down to really taking only one insurance at this point. Uh, I'm ma- basically fee for service, but my associate takes all insurance. We'll, we'll treat everybody and anybody, even if they come in without a referral, I'm happy to give them an evaluation, let them know the status, not just on a specific tooth, but I'll take a Panorex and I'll, I'll let them know exactly what I think of their entire state. And then I'll nudge them in a direction of the general dentist. I think they're going to fit bet, best with, because what I've noticed over the last couple of decades is the type of patients that we see are generally the type of personality from the referring dentist that refer them to me. And it's a very, very strange thing. So I'll try to understand uh, or read a patient, if you will, and say, well, you know, you think, I think you'd be a good match for Dr. X, or maybe you'd be a good match for Dr. Y. And you know, the reversal referral system works really, really well for us too. Tell us about that. Well, I mean, if I get a patient that doesn't have a referring dentist, they just came to me and called me up, or they may have seen me on my YouTube channel. They may have uh, seen me somewhere out on social media because I, I do tend to, to post cases and things like that. And if somebody just calls me up and just wants a consultation, fine, I'm happy to do it. And if I see somebody that needs uh, some overall general care, they're looking for a new general dentist. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and nudge them in the direction of the people that I know are going to give them the quality treatment. And I always tell patients, patients move, they move around all the time. And Dennis, as endodontist, when I was in the Air Force, we called it geographical success, meaning we were great. You know, everybody's a great dentist in short term success is not hard to come by, but stay in a community for 20 years and you see your long term outcomes, then they start realizing what really works and what really doesn't work. So when people People move to a new community across the state, across the world. I always tell them, call your local endodontic clinic and ask for a referral to a general dentist because we know who to send you to and who not. I love this. I love this. Okay. So I do a lot of work personally. I just love the kids, you know, so I go to UNC, I'll speak there. And that's where I first got my start is actually just talking to dental students. Um, uh, UMKC. And then also in this fall, I'm going to be doing a program for the Marquette kids. And I love them. And you can imagine how stressed they are. And so here's one of the questions I get, like with future specialty dentistry, like some people say it's dead, you know, and so we don't need to go down that path unless you want to. But like, what would you say to a kid? When they come up to me and they go, hey, I'm contemplating endo, like, what would you say to them if they're listening? Well, first of all, becoming a a healthcare provider, doctor, dentist, physician, whatever you want to call it, is a calling in in itself. You have to be wanting to help. You have to be wanting, you're a healer. Uh, Within dentistry, the niche of endodontics is a much deeper calling. I mean, you've got to really, really love it to really, really want to do it. Uh, And that's what's given me my satisfaction and validation over the years. The fact that I, I just really really love it. I, I live 
I eat, I breathe this stuff. So, I mean, I think it's, it's been wonderful for me. It's a great profession. It's only going to get better. The technology in the last two decades that I've been practicing has just expanded exponentially. I can't imagine what the future holds for endodontics. And we're talking about regenerative procedures, regrowing roots, all of these really fantastic things. Maybe, you know, hopefully in my lifetime, we'll regrow teeth. And do endodontists want to have a seat at that table? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Our specialties dead? No. I think they're just beginning. I, I I don't think that they're dying whatsoever. You know, it's every the pendulum always swings in both ways. You know, we look back 10 years ago, 15 years ago, when I was just new to endodontics, everybody was telling me endo was dead and implants were going to take over. But hey, here's we're still here. And so are implants. So I, I don't think it's dead. I, I think that you really have to love something wholeheartedly to want to do it all the time. And that's the secret to want to becoming a specialist is, is just really put your heart and soul into it and just be the best you can at it. Amen. You could say that about anything. I tell no my doubt. kids like, don't, don't go for the money. If you want to be a school teacher, be a be a good one. Just I mean, be the best at it, no matter what you do. Ever. Right? And you'll have so much satisfaction knowing that you get to be who who you were called to be. And I love the word, the fact that you used calling. And that was one of my questions is like, you're privy to a lot of things. And it's anyone's guess what the futures look like, what the future looks like in endo. But uh, as we've watched technology evolve, like whoever thought we'd be printing, like, come on. If you would have told me that 20 years ago, I would have, yeah, for, stop it. Like, just stop. What's anyone's guess? The future of endo. And you mentioned a little bit, but what I think there's never been a more exciting time to be a dentist in any on any level. But what, what are your thoughts? So so the progression of, of the technology of where we're at or where I became to is, is first of all, it was the microscope. Uh, then it was ultrasonic conservative accesses. And, and, and now it's it's the, the whole focus of endo is now on the irrigation aspect of it. Uh, there is a newer company out of uh, Laguna Beach, California called Sone Endo, and they make a system called the gentle wave system, which leverages multisonic energy and fluid dynamics. And we can prepare canals now to 1704 really really tiny and and for for i know you're not a dentist but but that's really really small canal preparation and we can get all that pulp tissue out and obturate it really well as before you know 10 15 years ago we we're opening things up really really large so the focus of endo is getting small getting smaller and smaller the next thing that we're looking at here is guided navigation with cbct scans marrying the two side by side chair side so that you can actually see what you're doing while you're looking on the screen on your cone beam scan. So, I mean, the next step here is actually guided, possibly guided canal instrumentation. I don't know where it's going, but I just know that that the technology is just getting better. Uh, we've got 3D heads up displays. People are sometimes, instead of using a microscope, using 3D glasses on a display and using heads up displays. Virtual, virtual reality is coming into play here. So that's something that we're gonna be looking at too. Robotics, artificial intelligence, you name it. Everything's coming down the pipe and it's, it's really quite exciting. Yeah. Gosh, I have so many questions on this uh, front. Um, Now you guys do obviously a good job of documenting a great job of documenting and sharing with what you do. And you can call it marketing or whatever. Like that's a, that's an area that dentists just kind of struggle with. And you, 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 can you give us some thought? Like what, what would you say to somebody who's like, I'm going to do this marketing thing. And I'm like, Oh Lord, here we go. What, what have you learned? that you would want to share like here's so here's a good thought you know so here here's a good thought and this may strictly be limited to a specialty type practice my, my marketing is my post operative report uh so my post operative report will have a pre operative 
periapical two-dimensional image, maybe a screenshot of my cone beam scan. I scan 100% of my patients, which is still a little bit of a controversy in the endodontic world. Um, but I've been scanning 100% of my patients since 2011, and I, I wouldn't I wouldn't give it up for anything. So maybe there's a screenshot of my my cone beam on there. Uh, there's a photo. I take a lot of photography. There's a, there's a preoperative photo what the tooth looked like before, what the canals look like, what was vital, what was necrotic. Uh, we're doing posts and cores. Maybe I'll take a photo of that. So my post-operative forward has, has radiographs and photos on it. And it's a, it used to be a whole huge printed laminate, you know, eight and a half by 11 sheet instead of those little cards that have pre-op and a post-op. So uh, you can't really get a sense of, of what we're really doing just by looking at an x-ray. We have to understand the clinical aspect of this too. So now that we're emailing things and things are more online, we have a process called web share. So every photo we click, every radiograph we take, uh, we, we categorize it as web share and it automatically populates into that patient's chart. That referring doctor has their own login. They can log in on real time and see where we're at in the procedure. So that's our marketing. So we don't go out. I mean, yeah, we can you know, give the, the holiday baskets around the holiday times, but you know, it's not a big part of what we do. People right. send stuff to us because of, of how we do things as opposed to what we give them. And, and, and we don't you know, really advertise to the direct public. Unfortunately, we sh I hope we could someday, but right now our main focus of our marketing is our post-op reports and our referring dentists and word of mouth. Love it. Further reinforces the idea that you're taking great care of my patients when I send you them bet. over. You bet. Which is, I mean, it's just awesome. Gosh, I want people, to, we'll get your book in just a second, but um, I want people to, to, to find out where they can get your book. But uh, any last thoughts you have on this? This is such a great topic and such a great mindset. What would be some last well, thoughts? I, I'm a huge into education. Uh, I am on faculty at the University of Illinois uh, College of Dentistry. I teach postgraduate residents. Uh, I, I think that everything begins with a solid understanding of what's going on. Uh, I don't care, again, what you do. You've got to understand what we're doing and why we're doing it and the likelihood of things working or not working. When we come to predictions and prognosis, you know, the variables are, are really three. It's the condition of the surrounding bone we're dealing with. It's the condition of the tooth that we're treating and the patient. The patient is one of the biggest variables in our long-term success, which often gets overlooked. And to, to give you a little bit of a, a, a thought on this, we're seeing a lot of fractured teeth lately, a lot of cracked teeth. And our conversation around how we treat these has changed because the you know, I can treat symptoms associated with your problem, but if we don't understand why you're even fracturing your teeth, then we're only spinning our wheels and you'll be back to see me again in a couple of years with another fractured tooth. So again, understanding, I guess, is my biggest message. And unfortunately, endodontics is drastically misunderstood because we just don't get enough training in dental school because training in anything is based on understanding the domain knowledge over time. And that's what I'm trying to do with my second half of my career is helping people really systemize the domain knowledge to help really fill in those gaps that dental school didn't teach us. Yeah, well, you are definitely doing it. I have thoroughly enjoyed this. This is awesome. I want people to get your book. Like, so if I'm listening, how the heck do I find, first of all, what is your book about? Then how do I get it? All right, so the name of my book is New Endo, N-U, it's a play on my name, New Endo, Rethinking Endodontics. It's a systematic approach to diagnosis and prognosis. It's published through Edra Publishing. You can go to edrapublishing.com. Uh, it's also sold on Amazon. And what this is, it's, it's a very unorthodox 
textbook because it's a map. It's a system of how to treat a patient and how to make a diagnosis and prognosis from the time the patient walks into your operatory until the time they have to make the decision on treat, do nothing, or extract. They're algorithms, and it's almost analogous to a choose-your-own-adventure. So the, the book is built up 35 different systems, and they're what I call case scenario-driven systems. And they will point you in a pathway to the next system in line to help you understand what the problem is. And each system has narratives evidence-based narratives to help you communicate what's going on with the patients so that everybody's on the same page before moving forward with treatment. It's probably the most neglected thing in endodontic education. Everybody wants to take the course on how to do better root canals. Well, I'm telling you how to do better root canals now. Get some teeth, get some files, and practice. But understanding why you need to do the root canal is critical because I don't care how well your root canals turn out if you treated the wrong tooth or you didn't get all the canals within that tooth. So, that's what my book is about, is understanding endodontics and, and on a level that is written for a third year dental student. So it's for everybody of all skill levels, uh, and it's really going to really expand your domain knowledge and fill in all of those gaps. I love it. I love it. So if you guys are listening on Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, just flip up to the notes. Our post-production people will put all this in the notes and we'll put actually a link in there so you can link it, go right there, get the book. And I'm going to encourage you to check it out. Bill, thanks for being on today. This is awesome. Well, I truly, truly appreciate this. This is my first time meeting you two, by the way, and you've got a lot of energy. I'm going to go back and watch and listen to some of your other podcasts here because <laughs> this has been a lot of fun. I've done a lot of podcasts uh, over the last couple of years and and by far, this hands down one of my favorites. So thank you very much for this. Well, prepare to be underwhelmed. I mean, I don't do it. I, I just love this stuff. I'm going to figure out a way to to hang out with people that are doing great stuff and just ask them questions. So uh, um, yeah, gosh, just thank you so much. So stick around. We say goodbye to everybody else but thank you guys for listening to the best practices show. If you enjoyed today, just do us a favor, hit the share button, share with your friends. Keep sending us stuff that you guys want to see. I get it from you all the time. So if there's stuff you want me to ask Bill, just send it to me and I'll have him back and we'll ask him the good questions. But until we see you guys next time, keep watching the best practice show. You guys enjoy your day. There you have it. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Best Practices Show. I hope you sure did enjoy it. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to us. We are always here for you. And if you haven't done so already, make sure you subscribe to the show on iTunes or wherever you consume podcasts. And if you really enjoy it, you can leave a comment or a four or five star review. But until we see you next time, keep watching The Best Practices Show.